Blog Talk Radio.
that's to help liberate your people and to help liberate humanity from all of the various forms of oppression. Heal the way we get started with our party or Africa on the move. We always introduce our political panelists and analysts for today's program. So right there, we can get started with our party by introducing first and foremost, Brother Haki, welcome to Africa on the Move. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. You know, Brother Africa, you know, as I uh, observe the demonstrations taking place around the world, uh, one of the things I think is very important to point out, when we talk about uh, police violence, it's somewhat a complex issue. It's complex because it's confounded by history, which, which, which states that the lives of African people is not, not very, very important. And then superimposed upon that is the economic system, which says that the worth of African people is, is superfluous to say the least. So clearly there's some, some understanding history we have to have in terms of understanding police violence and why it seems to be intractable. Now, here's, here's something I, I was thinking about, um, and I want to check this out. Now, according to a poll conducted by John Anderson, 83% of U.S. citizens are stressed about the nature, nation's future. 40% of Republican voters think civil war in the U.S. is inevitable. Confronting this, this kind of pessimism certainly puts into perspective the kind of support for police despite visual displays of police killings and brutality flashed across social media. However, these statistics reveal a much more sinister influence, an influence not easily deconstructed, but nonetheless greatly influences human consciousness. That influences history. Now, it is well established police uh, evolved from slave patrols during the colonial era and the systematic abuse of African people. What we don't discuss is the economic appendages that creates the justification for violent policing and why a services community never really existed, other than rhetorically. The entire U.S. economic structure, as well as most of the Western world, was created to employ maximum exploitation. J.P. Morgan, the great capitalist, stated the best when he stated, quote, competition is sin, end quote. The essence of J.P. Morgan's statement conferred a notion money rules, and as such, pursuit of it is of most importance. Implicit in his message, paying for labor should not create situations businesses are compelled to compete for wages. By working together, the business will prosper while holding down wages at the same time and showing who gets money and who do not receive money. Now, the problem of real competition among, among businesses, despite J.P. Morgan's uh, wishes, grew in scope. In a meeting organized by J.P. Morgan with the back in the Rothschilds, a wealthy uh, U.K. family, along with 150 largest businesses in the U.S., it was agreed in 1910 on Jekyll Island, Georgia, the best way to hedge against real competition among businesses is for business, businesses to own banks. This formula was a win-win for businesses because it ensured not only investment opportunities for the wealthy, but control of the money supply. The veracity of this belief was confirmed when in 1929, big banks conspired to cripple the U.S. economy by working together to create a Great Depression. We know it as the Great Depression of 1929. Now, as a side note, one has to wonder, you know, what role does COVID-19 plays in terms of the U.S. will in terms of regaining its hegemony over the world's economy. Now, according to historian Carl Quigley, his book, Tragedy and Hope, quote, central banks were designed to create a system of financial control in private hands uh, able to dominate the political and economic system of every country in the world, end quote. This process, of global, excuse me, this process of global control was consolidated with the creation of the Bank of International Settlements in 1930. Now, aside from making it possible for wealthy people to hide their money, the Bank of, US, the bank of International Settlements it's also responsible for financing Nazis throughout the world. So when we hear situations where the Ukraine, where they have a tremendous problem with Nazis or the Ukraine 
Obviously, we're in Germany, we have a problem with Nazis, or France, Germany, Switzerland, Sweden, and so forth and so on, then understand that uh, a lot of people behind the, behind the scene who are propping these individuals up also finance them. So we, we, we clearly understand the role of violence in terms of ensuring uh, US, uh, a Western hegemony, uh, because as long as you can keep people fighting one another, then ensures at least give the U.S. US uh, ruling elite an opportunity to maintain power and control. And so the support of Nazis is all about control. And so we have to understand that in the relationship that what's happening in terms of police in America in terms of kind of violence being inflicted upon African people. It's the same strategy. Now, in the U.S., the Federal Reserve is probably owned by eight wealthy families representing the U.S., France, Germany, U.K., and Italy. To say central banks have immense power would be an understatement. Currently, the Federal Reserve controls 30% of the U.S. GDP. This means not only is the U.S. economy unstable, but the instability threatens global capitalism. It is this instability of capitalism that demands a brutal and homicidal law enforcement apparatus. As global capitalism deconstructs structural unemployment, structural homelessness, two-tier educational systems, makes it difficult for ruling class to maintain the facade of a functioning democracy. Fear and intimidation along with mass murder of people of color is the only strategy available. Uh, now, do police, the question becomes, do police understand their role? Well, just last week in Wilmington, North Carolina, three cops, three white cops, expressed their desire to slaughter African people. They didn't use the word African. They used the N-word. They have a desire to slaughter uh, uh, in uh, African people. Now, one, one in particular expressed his desire to not wait for the coming race war, but to start slaughtering African people right now. And his position his, his was, why wait? We should do it right now. So the, the, so the question becomes, do you think that the cops get it? And my position is that, yes, I think many cops do get it. They get the message in terms of this kind of hostility, this kind of vitriol toward African people. I think they understand clearly their role in terms of disseminating uh, injustice or disseminating suffering or inflicting pain on African people. So clearly we got a problem. So without institutions in the community, Brother Africa, the question becomes, can we realistically uh, stand up against a, you know, an onslaught of racial and systematic aggression? It seems to me without the institutions, it's simply an impossible task, and I'm, I, I encourage people strongly, build those institutions because that is, our, that is our best bet in terms of surviving what surely is to come in the society. And, and having clo- I'll close with that, Brother Africa, and I want to thank you for having me. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we go to Brother Anthony. We'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Move. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Okay, Father Brother Anthony, we now we're bringing Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. We thank you, Brother Moses. Going from Brother Moses to Brother Maurice, we'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Move. 
revolutionary greetings, brother Africa and brother and and, and a fellow comrades on the panel and all all the listeners out there. My name is Brother Maurice. I am an organizer for PRSP, the Pan African Revolutionary Socialist Party, and I'm also an organiz- uh, organizer for slaying, struggling, living, and never giving up. Forward, ever, backwards, never. Thank you for having me here tonight. Welcome to you as well, Brother Maurice. All right, panelists, let's get started with that party like always. What's going on in your world and the community? Go ahead, Brother Hackey. Take the mic. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I've been reading articles re- recently, brother, brother uh, Africa, on the role of individualism in terms of uh, being a, a favorite trait uh, of capitalism. Uh, one of the things that's interesting, though, when, when they talk about you know individualism being an innate human being, that's questionable. Certainly, when you look at the history of human beings in terms of sacrifices they make, and clearly this ability in terms of caring for people, somebody other than yourself, does exist in human beings, even though capitalism tends to play down those kind of attributes. And so for people, so for instance, for people like, you know, Harry Tubman, Gabriel Prosser, John Brown, Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Jamil Alameen, the Black Panthers, the Black Liberation Army, uh, Reverend William Barber, the Poor People's Campaign, all examples of selflessness. And so clearly this, 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 inter- this ability in terms of people to care about someone else other than themselves does exist. Also, recently, you know, I've been thinking about three people that come to mind in terms of who I perceive as selfless. And uh, the first person was a sister, and this was very, very recently, a sister by the name of um, Mary Elizabeth Taylor. Now, she was Assistant Secretary of State of Legislative Affairs. She worked there for 3.5 years in the State Department. She recently resigned. And the reason why she resigned, because she could no longer tolerate a vitriol demonstrated by the Orange Menace in terms of, you know, his his dealing with, with African people. She stated that when he started talking about looting and looting starts, shooting starts, clearly that was a provocation. That what she saw it was a, was a, a call, you know, to kill unarmed African men and women, and she resented that greatly. Also, she she talked about the fact that he encouraged police violence on peaceful protesters, in particular Lafayette Park, right there in Washington D.C., and she thought that was somewhat very very undemocratic, and so she thought it was just raw on a moral level. And lastly, she also talked about the fact that. Um, Trump has great resistance in terms of renaming military bases, you know, from uh, colonial, excuse me, from Confederate generals to other kinds of names, much more progressive kind of names that's more reflective, you know, of American of American country. So clearly, you know, this 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 kind of um, um, uh, uh, this kind of um, uh, selflessness that she she demonstrated speaks volumes in terms of you know uh, what kind of person she is because she's often thinking about it. She makes tons and tons of money. All she has to do is go to meetings and, and shake her head and tell them, yes, yes, I agree. And, 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 and she'll still be, she'll be very well off. But the money doesn't define her. The principle define her. So we need more people like this young lady, uh, Mary Elizabeth Taylor, in terms of being able to stand up in the face of justice and say, despite your money, i got to do that which is right. Secondly, um, uh, Terry Albury. Now, Terry Albury was the son of Ethiopian uh, refugees. He spent 17 years in the FBI. Now, Terry Albury was disenchanted with the kind of racism that he experienced on a daily basis in the FBI. In fact, one of the things that he was most adamant about was that when it comes to counterterrorism, one of the things that they did, they assigned him to watch the Somali and African-American communities. And so while white Nazis and white KKK types were committing crimes, uh, they were not being followed. And so he had a real problem with that. And the reason why he was to higher up because racism is so inculcated in uh, the FBI structure, there's no way in terms you're going to get them to change by going through the, through the, through the, uh, through the structures. 
Uh, also, one of the things that uh, even the former uh, director of the FBI, James Comey, stated that the uh, FBI is deep as racist. So clearly, uh, Trevor Albury had no choice but to go to the Intercept newspaper to reveal documents stating just how racist the FBI was. And also, he talked about the fact that uh, the FBI continually used informants who are both psychologically and emotionally compromised as informants, knowing that, they, uh, that they're capable of lying at any at the drop of a hat. So he talked about all this in the document that he released to, to the Intercept. So it's a very good article, so make it an opportunity. By all means, go and read it. Now, he was, he was uh, found guilty and sentenced to four years in prison. Now, the judge, Wilhelmina Teller, stated that by, by leaking that information revealing that the FBI was racist, that it constituted a threat to national security. How the hell does revealing the FBI is racist uh, has a threat to national security? Everybody knows the FBI is racist. <laughs> that's, 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 everybody knows that, so it's nothing to know. So it's very interesting. But this judge, uh, Wilhelmina Taylor, she was black. Very interesting. So when we talk about this question of class and African community, we got to understand, man, uh, because you're black doesn't mean that, you, that you're in interest in terms of empowering African people. So clearly this is a, this is a class example. Now, lastly, uh, Kenny Ford. Kenny Ford was formerly an, a national security agency analyst, and he speaks Arabic. Now, one of the things that they did in terms of the technology, one of the things they would tap into Iraqi uh, communications to find out what's going on, because the whole idea is to find out who's a terrorist and so forth and so on. Where, on numerous occasions, the former vice president John Cheney would come to him and ask him, "So, what you got for me?" And well, so he would sell where he would listen. You know, he listened to communiques and he listened to the to the um, you know to the wiretaps. And he said, "Well, I don't have anything for you." So after the third time of Dick Cheney coming back asking what you got for me, he said, "I don't have anything for you." Because what Cheney wanted, he wanted um, uh, Kenneth Ford to say to him, "Oh yeah, I heard them talking about they're going to blow up this, or they're going to fight this, or they're going to you know." Uh, he, he wanted Kenneth Ford to exaggerate. But Kenneth Ford was apparently a very principled young young fellow because what he did, he could have very easily lied on the Iraqis and say yes, you know he could have lied just like uh, Condoleezza Rice and um, Colin Powell and say yes, they're talking about weapons of mass destruction, they're talking about killing troops, they're talking about this and talking about that. But he didn't hear that, and so therefore he was very honest. Well, Cheney was pissed, and so what happened was he put into motion uh, a, a, a a means to get him because what they wanted to do is send a message that when we want you to lie, you lie. We're paying you a lot of money to lie, and so that's what you expect you to do. And apparently, uh, Kenny Ford, the young fellow, he didn't recognize that what they were saying to him is, we expect you to lie. That's why he kept coming around asking him, what do you have for me? So it speaks values in terms of the kind of his, his, his character, in terms of you know uh, the kind of person he was. Now, here's the thing. While he was on vacation, the FBI invaded his, went into, broke into his house, and interestingly, they found some documents pertaining to the FBI. Now, here's the irony. He's with the NSA. He would, at his level, he wouldn't have access to FBI documents. So obviously, the FBI placed those documents in his home. Well, the jury, the first jury was smart enough to figure that out, and they acquitted him. But the, but the state did something that they shouldn't have done. They stipulated that he was tried without prejudice. In other words, the situation in terms of double jeopardy, where you can't try people twice for the same crime, they waived that and said, now we can try you again for the same crime, and they did. Subsequently, he was convicted and given three years in prison. So my guess is that Kenneth Ford has a different, different, a different perception in terms of uh, what America is all about now. Now that he he he, he was unjustly uh, in prison, uh, <clears throat> so I, I think that his view in terms of uh, America is quite different now. I think he has more a, a greater understanding in terms of what really motivates America and what America is really all about. 
July 4th. It's called Develop the Intelligence of Our Youth Protests and March. Uh, it's against the city of Greensboro Parks and Recreation, which, which is continuing to close the parks in our black communities while allowing full functioning parks across town. They are marching to protest to reopen and redevelop the parks in our neighborhoods. Uh, the protests will commence Saturday, July 4th from 12 noon to 3 p.m. in Tuscaloosa Park at the corner of Tuscaloosa and Bennett. Call 206-319-6432 for more information. Also, uh, moving on, uh, today is the 56th anniversary of the founding of the Organization of Afro-American Unity, uh, founded by Malcolm X, uh, June 26, uh, 1964. And, uh, and uh, the Malcolm X Commemoration Committee held a roundtable discussion uh, uh, virtual webinar to commemorate the occasion. Also, there was, uh, uh, and also this uh, organization had a large influence on the African youth of that period in the struggle for Pan-Africanism. And uh, Malcolm was planning on taking uh, the U.S. before the U.N. for its uh, human rights violations against uh, Africans living in the U.S., uh, also, there was a demonstration in Paris yesterday against uh, the annexation of the West Bank of the Jordan River in Palestine to it, uh, to the Zionist State of Israel. And uh, the protests had a very heavy turnout. And uh, uh, let's see, it was a very, uh, and it was a very, vocal attack against uh, the Zionist forces uh, in, 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 uh, in occupied Palestine. Okay, Brother Anthony, we thank you. We next, we'll go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community? Thank you, thank you. I'll just take this opportunity to, in, the, in the spirit of Kwame Ture and uh, the Black United Front, uh, in that spirit, uh, I'd like to read a little something by Reverend Jesse Jackson, Sr. Uh, it's from Volume 55, Number 37, June 25th through July 1st, 2020, The Washington Informer, where he was a he's, he, is, he is a guest, um, sort of a columnist, or editorial. And uh, anyway, I just want to read the first few paragraphs. I thought it was relevant to what sign of the times. Uh, I can't breathe, please, George Floyd in Minneapolis. And early Ghana in New York City, and Nevier Ambler in Austin, Texas, before police killed them. Amid the protests against brutality, Rashad Brooks in Atlanta, whom police found asleep in his car, was shot twice in the back and killed. 
in Austin, Justin Howard lies in critical condition in the hospital, shot during the protest by a policeman using a less lethal weapon. His mistake, he stood next to the demonstrators the police were shooting at. And now two young African-American men, Robert Fuller and Malcolm Harsh, are found dead, hanging by their necks 50 miles from one another in California. Although the police initially dismissed these the cases of suicide, they are now under investigation after a public outcry. In the midst of a national uprising on racial justice, the possible lynching of two black men should not be swept under the carpet. For Afro-Americans, poverty should not be a prison and skin color should not be a cage. White supremacists disguised as police officers should not use us as target practice. So-called qualified immunity must not shield killers from the law. Those with a shield and a badge must be held to the highest standards. It's time to fulfill America's promise of equal justice under the law. As the demonstrations continue, the reality of the criminal injustice system that Afro-Americans are faced with every day keeps getting exposed. At the same time, the pandemic has exposed the systematic racial gaps that scar our society. Police serve as occupying force in poor communities of color because those communities exist, often created by redlining worsened by savage inequality of schools and health care and job opportunities. I just stopped right there. This is a he was a guest columnist this week in the Washington Informer. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Now we go to Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice, what's going on in your world and the community? Yes, sir, yes sir. As always, there's a lot of things going on in the world. Uh, I just want to let Africans know, in case you didn't know, it's obviously you, you, we have to know by now that we are in a full-blown full war. Like Brother Haki alluded to earlier, um, saying that the FBI is, is uh, racist. That's fact. You know, FBI is racist. Uh, we should know this by now. Um, just to go to the current events of what's going on in the world, I would I would first talk about uh, six six Africans was basically shot. One uh, died yesterday at a uh, at a protest in Kentucky for getting justice for Breonna Taylor, the sister who was murdered and gunned down while she was sleeping. When cops came in and kicked in the door and shot her, and her uh, partner shot back at the cops. But you know they was protesting and trying to get justice for her, and a white supremacist came on the scene and started opening up fire. Um, I shared a video. The video is available on Facebook. You see, you can hear the shots. You can see people running. That's one of the things that's going on in our world. Another, another uh, heartbreak, a heartbreaking story that's going on is a sister, 18-year-old sister, uh, Althea Bernstein, out of Madison, Wisconsin, was uh, lit on fire by four white supremacists. They was on foot. She was parked at a light. She was on her way to her brother's house to visit, and they just threw uh, they tossed um, lighter lighter fluid on her, and and her, her left side of her face, I believe, uh, where well, her face in general got caught on fire. She you know she got wounded from that. She survived, but she continued to drive to drive herself um, to her brother's house to get help. Uh, last but not least, uh, I want to elaborate uh, on Elijah McClain. Um, I just heard, I know his his murder happened last year, his assassination happened last year, but it's a lot of sentiments with, with, with me and hearing that brother's last words. He stated that I am different, I am an introvert. That's something that I always say 
to my family and, 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 and people, friends, and whatever. I am an introvert. Um, I had said on this platform previously that one of the one of the uh, self criticisms that I have for not organizing as as uh, as sufficient or more productive as I should is because I am an introvert. And just to hear this brother uh, Elijah to say to the police, I am different. I have he had on clothing to keep his because he was cold. He was cold. We talking about Colorado where this brother was uh, assassinated at. It's cold in Colorado, right? So you know, this 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 stuff is, is is pisses me off, man. You talking about we talk about humanism. This brother played the violin for Pat, and they murdered the brother. You see what I'm saying? And this has been going on more than 400 years, 500 years or so. And 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 like brother Moses alluded to, with the mysterious. Now we're not even gonna call the mysterious hangers. They all out lynchings. And this and this shit. Excuse my language. I'm frustrated, man. This this shit. It's been it's been going on. It's been going on in, uh, not only in California, South South Africa, Georgia, Ferguson, all of the lynchings after the Michael Brown rebellion that took place. You had a lot of powerful brothers who was assassinated, who was lit on fire, also in their cars, who was you know who was killed and who was hanged, who was shot in the head, executionist uh, style. These are modern day uh, lynchings. We are in an all out war. As, as Brother Anthony and all the comrades on this show and on this panel have stated over and over, get organized, get organized, get organized. I don't know what else more we can do uh, at this point to, for, to to identify or to make Africans aware that we have to organize, man. I don't know what else more can we do. We had a full-blown war. You can't win it by yourself. There's no such thing of a, of a, of a white superman. There's no such thing of a Superman. The Superman is a is people. The col it wasn't a colonizer that came to Africa. It was a group of colonizers, and they had to help. And they had help with some of uh, neo-colonialists or indirect rule, direct rule. Study that if you don't know what that is. These are tools that they utilize to to to, to divide us. They talk about trash. I don't really like that word trash. Clans, clans or or ethnic groups, but. Come on, man. Traps, that's, that's something that the Europeans brought to Africa and utilized tri- uh, tribalism to divide us and, 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 and took over and conquer Africa. The only way we can win this battle, this racist battle, this, this is white supremacy, yes, it is white supremacy, but what produces white supremacy? Capitalism. What, and what capitalism came from? Slavery. Kwame Nkrumah stated himself that in 1963, slavery is a, is a byproduct I mean, I'm sorry, racism, white supremacy is a byproduct of slavery. Slavery preceded racism. So we got to, in, in, in order, what was taken from us, we got to get it back. Our land, we got to get that back of Africa, and we got to get our freedom back. Our freedom, our, our labor got to be controlled. We don't control our labor at this point. Our labor is controlled by an economic system that exploits us and oppresses us, capitalism. We got to fight, and we got to, I mean, I don't, I, you know, it's frustrating. But we have to. We have to. We, we are fighting. We are fighting. To, you know, we fighting. I don't. I don't necessarily agree with the fight of tearing down. I mean, that's good. The statues do need to uh, uh, be turned down. Uh, we got June tenth. We want to do the electric slide. We want to uh, cook out. But the celebration. The celebration is not one yet, my brothers and sisters. We, you know, we tearing down statues. That's nice. But the real thing that needs to be teared down, and it's capital. It is this capitalist capitalist system, neocolonialism, and imperialism. And I conclude with that. All right, thank you, brother Maurice. And at this point in time, we're going to take a rubbish cultural break. 
And when we come back, we're going to have a special guest invited you today. We're going to have our representative brother, John Stanback. He has some information that he comes to share with us, and we will entertain Brother Steinbeck when we come back from our Rubbishire culture break. You are listening to Africa on the Move. As we say, we are in the seat. We're going to take the heat, and if we define it, we'll stand behind it. We'll be right back with John Steinbeck. Living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be. To last through my journey, yeah. To last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. Must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it. My journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Pellerino, a bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons 
became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin, turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun, pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. When the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be. Know that I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Back to Africa on the Move. You're listening to Brother Africa. You were just listening to Pellerino by Abi Adon, who was one of the founders of the last poet. Right now, we're going to go into a discussion with our, one of our family members. This is a freedom fighter, Brother John Standback. And like always, uh, him and his organization. They're involved in many movements, activities, and what we want to do right now is to give an a opportunity to share with the listening world what is he working on, what's going on with his organization, and how we can participate. So right now, we'd like to formally bring in John Standback, one of the family members, and welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, John. Well, thank you, Brother Africa, and, you know, indeed, uh, we are family. Um, all of us have been involved in the liberation movement and the freedom struggle all our lives. And, and, and you know, we're in the twilight years now. We, we don't have very many years left. And I just want to say that hearing uh, Brother Clarence uh, is, uh, fills my heart uh, with joy to hear young people so well informed, uh, quoting the elders, uh, Talking about um, the, the 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 idea that there are still battles to be fought. So so we were part of the anti-colonial movement, but then it was neo-colonialism. And so when Clarence was talking, and, and it's all part of the same system, like he was talking about capitalism, imperialism. Uh, you know, particularly if you look at Mother Africa and look at how the World Bank leverages uh, the rape of Mother Africa. Um, I was reading with interest the, the article about the uh, the German NGO that's going to, you know, protect the uh, the uh, children that are uh, uh, being being worked as slaves in the in the cobalt mines and 
you know, I suppose in a sense that that's a good thing, but I'm very skeptical about these corporate controlled NGOs and, and to what degree they're, they're going to actually uh, protect us because they're not going to protect us. So they're, they're, they, their job mainly is to facilitate how the corporations control us. So, so Brother Clarence, I think, did a very good job articulating uh, the way things are, uh, the battles that still remain to be fought. And so when he was ending his talk, uh, I was thinking that maybe the, 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 I know that all of you, you know, read with great interest Franz Fanon's books, uh, uh, Black Skin, White Masks, uh, Wretched of the Earth. I mean, th- those were our primers. Uh, but for the young people who haven't read those books, you know, go back. They're still in print. Go back. Read them both because he warned and he talked about black faces that serve white imperialism. And, uh, and so that's still the case. And the issue, as Clarence said, is continuing the fight against capitalism, continuing the fight against imperialism. So uh, having said that, uh, I was really hoping that uh, Sister Pam Africa was going to be on because uh, I don't know if you know this, but Sister Pam and I are very good friends, and we've worked together for 30 years, um, mainly on the issue of Mumia, but also other issues, uh, particularly in my work with the Gray Panthers over the years. So, so but um, the reason why I I'm calling in today is that I have been working with a number of groups here in Prince William County to organize an event that I think would be of interest to uh, the listeners. So uh, the Prince William Conservation Alliance and about 15 other community groups here in Prince William, which is the community where I live, is organizing an event. It's called is this land your land? Discussions around why African Americans and other people of color might not think so. And so the speaker is uh, an author by the name of Dudley Edmondson. And on July the 6th at 7 o'clock, he is going to be uh, speaking about the issue of is this land your land? And he's going to talk as a as a black uh, naturalist, as a black outdoorsman, as an author, and as a, an award-winning photographer. He's going to talk about his struggle to reclaim natural space and green space as a black man. And so he wrote a so – so, so the reason why – the community is inviting him here. He lives in Minnesota. But Prince William County was traditionally uh, about 80%, 85% white, 15% black, with a very small number of immigrants. When I first moved here back in the, in the 1980s, the mid-80s, that was the case. But what ha- what's happened over the last 30 years has been unprecedented demographic changes. So what was 80% white as recently as 1985 is now 
majority, quote, quote, majority, minority. So, so uh, African Americans and immigrants and other people of color now comprise the majority of people in the county. And uh, Prince William County is almost unique in that uh, the land in Prince William goes all the way from the tidal Potomac, where the tides come in and the water is brackish, all the way through the Piedmonts and all the way to the eastern ridges of the, of the Appalachian Mountains, the Blue Ridge Mountains. And there is a lot of green space. And um, there, is, there are many barriers to uh, people of color exercising their, their ability to take advantage of and enjoy that green space. So Dudley's going to talk about his experience. Uh, I, I hope that he's going to raise the, the issue, particularly regarding uh, African Americans and the Great Migration. So when the Great Migration happened and there was mass, mass movement from the rural south to the north, uh, the African American uh, population was crammed into ghettos um, occupied by police, and in fact, you know we, we're we're seeing seeing this legacy continuing to uh, happen, you know, in in front of our eyes. For those of us who've been struggling for our entire lives, and now we're in our 70s and and, and approaching our 80s. You know, this is this is nothing new, but it is it is a legacy of Jim Crow. It's a legacy of lynching. It's a legacy of the formation of the ghettos. Uh, and it's always been uh, directed at marginalized groups. Uh, it was it was directed at Irish. The whole concept of the word paddy wagon uh, came from the idea that you know all Irish were drunks and violent and so on, and so. Uh, I'm hoping that Dudley is going to be is going to work in some of these ideas. But the but the the concept is to welcome him here as an entire community. So I'm going to give uh, an email address that uh, the listeners can use. And maybe maybe it would be all right, Brother Africa, if I gave it slowly twice. I know that you're going to take post your time. It, can yes, I do you can. That? Take your time. Yes. Yes, you can. All, all right. So, so, so I think the best way to do this because it is, a, it is going to be a virtual event, and you really need to, uh, to uh, sign on. We're gonna, uh, we'll, we will uh, stream it. So if people can't get on, you'll be able to go on Facebook, and you'll be, or uh, actually probably YouTube. So you'll be able to see it. But if you want to participate and ask questions. And I think that uh, our listenership here really needs to call in because uh, this is a very, very well-informed community. And so the questions that would come from the listenership here would be uh, of great value if if asked of of Dudley Edmondson. So here is the uh, email address. It's Kim. K-I-M at pwconserve.org. So it's the Prince William Conservation Alliance. So Kim at 
PW, that's Prince William, Conserve, as in Conservation Alliance. So PWConserve.org. And uh, I know that you're going to be posting in Brother Africa. And um, so I don't know. Let me throw it back, and maybe you can ask questions, and, you know, we can expand the conversation in the, in the time we have left. Yeah, what I'll do, John, is I'll let my panelists come in. They may have some comments or remarks so far based upon what you have stated. And um, I will go to my panelists. We'll start off with Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, you're on the mic with John. Question or comment? Sure. Good evening, John. Uh, Thanks uh, for sharing this information uh, with us. Um, My... I have a comment more than a question, I suppose. Um, historically, uh, uh, beca- uh, because of our oppression, Africans have been pushed around uh, due to uh, economic constraints more than anything else into certain areas of, uh, 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 you know, of, uh, of a state or a county. In other words, in, in, in other words, historically, it's been difficult for Africans to live wherever they wanted to with inside the U.S. And uh, yeah. that's due to a combination of factors such as redlining, discrimination, actually being chased out of certain communities where the uh, uh, you, you know that they had built up. Over a period of time, such as Tulsa and Rose, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Rosewood, Florida, come to mind as examples. But um, uh, in terms of um, how, uh, in terms of having access to the resources in Prince William, um, how uh, how how prob- uh, how pervasive has that problem been in Prince William? Uh, county uh, since you've well, lived there. It's a serious problem. So, uh, so I just uh, to to uh, inform the listeners, um, the uh, the big part of the demographic change that happened was this a massive, massive influx of immigrants. It had to do with the imposition of NAFTA and uh, the forcing of uh, campesinos of. Uh, uh, indigenous campesinos off the land, and so thousands and thousands and thousands moved here. And uh, my group, uh, the Mexicano Sin Fronteras uh, uh, Woodbridge Workers Committee, uh, worked with, and we still work with the indigenous communities, uh, some of whom speak no English, and some of whom speak very little Spanish, even. And uh, and the so the the immigrant community ended up uh, mainly along the Route 1 corridor plus the cities of Manassas and Manassas Park concentrated and thrown into the same mix as African Americans and other immigrants too, immigrants from Africa, uh, Southwest Asia, East Asia. And uh, so and in the meantime, uh, if you go to Western Prince William County, which is where the mountains are and the Piedmont is, uh, 
it uh, is uh, nothing but McMansions, these huge uh, houses that are built on, you know, less than an acre of land in many cases. And, you know, for example, uh, in Gainesville, up until a couple of years ago, there was the world's largest gated community. And, and of course, all of this was relatively new as well, because this, all of this building happened in the 1980s and especially the 1990s when the Clinton administration came to power. And they basically deregulated a whole lot of things and um, opened up the floodgates for the corporations. And so the corporations all moved a lot of their corporate headquarters and so on to the Washington, D.C. area. So the, the land was relatively cheap, and those houses were built out, out uh, in, the, in the, 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 the area which is called the Green Crescent, which is a lot of where the green space is. And, and, of course, ironically, the, overwhelmingly, these houses were built by immigrants from Mexico and Central America because they were the cheap and captive labor because you know, they're undocumented and, you know, you can basically do whatever you want. So uh, one of the consequences of that is that uh, the uh, uh, mainstream environmental movement here is overwhelmingly dominated by whites and with you know not relatively few people of color not not none not none but relatively few so but there is an an, an enlightened aspect to the leadership that are that want to turn this around so uh i was approached because i have my background is environmental studies my my academic background and i and uh, i'm i'm active in a number of community groups so so i know that doesn't exactly answer your question things are better than they were but it's still a very divided uh uh county where overwhelmingly poor people and people of color are jammed up on the on the far east end along route 1 corridor Okay, next time we'll go to Haki. Haki, any questions or comments? Yeah, yeah, but John, I'm just, uh, I just want to make sure I understand what what this, uh, is this Edmund was his name? I just want to, yeah, I just Dudley, want to understand. Dudley Edmondson. Yes, Edmondson. Yes. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of not clear. Could you articulate his position again in terms of respect to land in the African community? Yeah, brother Haki. So uh, Dudley Edmondson lives in Minnesota. He's uh, an outdoorsman. He's an uh, environmentalist. He is a celebrated author. He's a, he's a photographer. He's, he's written a number of books. The most uh, famous one is called uh, Black and Brown uh, Faces in America's Wild Places. Uh, the subtitle is African Americans Making Nature and the Environment a Part of Their Everyday Lives. So his theme is that uh, black people and people of color have been systematically been deprived of access to nature, of green space, of, you know, hiking and fishing and uh, those kinds of activities that are essential, you know, for, for, for all of us uh, as human beings. And uh, so, so he's going to talk about why that's important. And we brought him here to Prince William County specifically because 
as I said, there are major, major uh, environmental justice issues here that really need to be addressed. So in a sense, this would be a very, very small step toward at least beginning to, to discuss these issues. Okay, thanks, John. Sure. Okay, we'll go to Moses. After Moses, I believe we'll have Sister Pat Africa on. But, John, I want you to stay on. Brother Moses, any questions or comments? Um, I, I really don't have any 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 questions at the moment. I, I've worked with um, the Workers Without Borders, uh, and um, and uh, my nephew lived down there in Woodbridge. Uh, um I, I really don't have any questions at the moment. Thank you. Okay, what are yeah, we going to do right now? Yeah, that, that was okay. that was a big time struggle, uh, Brother Africa. You know, we, we we got death threats. We we had to make a decision whether to go go to the FBI when we got the death threats, and we we made a strategic decision not to do that. But it was difficult. Okay, John, what we're going to do? We have your sister coming on there. We're going to bring in Sister Pam. Africa, she's going to give us an update. Recently, I know we lost another warrior and a family member. Little move. We like to give our brother his proper respect. We ask Sister Pam to talk a little bit about Brother Devin in terms of transition and just give us an update on what's going on and what the people need to be aware of. So, right now, we bring Sister Pam in and we like to welcome her to Africa on the move. Welcome, Sister Pam. Oh, yes. Thank you. On the move, everybody. On the move. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes. Speak. Oh. Um, I I missed the introduction and all because when I came out my door, it's a lot of people that came up to visit me, and they know they have to be quiet. So um, I just missed the last part of what you were saying. Yeah, we say you have your brother on the phone with you, John Steinbeck. He was just asking about you. Oh, okay. On the move. And uh, we brought you in to do a couple of things. Give us an update. I know you just recently had a family member who just made a transition. Yeah, transition. Yeah, and we like for at least give him his proper respect and talk a little bit about him and his contribution to our people's struggles. Mm-hmm. And then just give us an update. What's going on and what the people need to know in terms of um, from the struggle that you engaged in. Give us an update. Talk to us. We want to hear from you. Right. So the mic is yours. Okay. So the mic is yours. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, I want to tell you about Delbert, and then I want to give you an update on what it is that we're doing, you know, and you know, with good, Momia. Good. Right. Okay. So um, what we're doing with Delbert, um, we're going to have a memorial for him on August the 8th, you know, this year. But my brother Delbert Africa, he was the most famous MOVE member, and uh, he's the one that on, when the cops raided our home on August 8th and tried to kill every man, woman, and child in there, we um, we had a um, distraction. Um, yeah, on, on August 8th, and uh, when Delbert was coming out the uh, basement, and, uh, you know, he had his hands up. It was clear he had no weapons, and uh, um, a police officer... Um, took his um, rifle and he swung around and hit Delbert on one side of the head with the butt of it at full force while he had his hands in the air. 
and the other police officer took his helmet and he pulled it all the way from the back and pulled it all around and slammed him upside his head. And it was, you know, this beating was long before Rodney King, but the difference between Delbert's beating and Rodney King's beating, his was caught on international news. And when you see beatings of, um, you know, people, and I'm saying, and they should show all these beatings and all, you know, but... The beating of Delbert Africa, people go far back as Rodney King, but they won't go back to Delbert Africa because Delbert Africa was a freedom fighter. And all you know, he was fighting totally against this government and um, uncompromisingly. That's why they came to our house on, you know, August 8th. Um, I'm very sorry. And also someone just hit our car. <laughs> And can, can I call back? Uh, can you call back in? We'll be on. Okay, yes, we'll yes, somebody just hit our car. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'll call back. No, no problem. All right, panelists, we see how John stand back. Um, one of the things John raised was the question of um, the nature of the program would raise the, the issue of who land is this. This land is not yours. Now, in terms of that thing, John, or that sentiment, can you just elaborate a little bit more about who are raising the question that this land is not theirs and who are the rightful owners of the land? Give us a little more um, perspective on, on that particular dilemma. Yeah, so um, Sister Pam and I, yeah, as I said, we've known each other uh, probably 30 years. Um, one of the areas besides uh, MOVE and Mumia and, uh, uh, that we worked on a lot was uh, the issue of Native American solidarity. So in, in Pam's case, it would be you know, black liberation, Native American liberation. In my case, it would be more, more uh, solidarity, uh, alliance work, uh, you know, struggling together work. So, so uh, I think that to, to begin to address that question, we, we should always remind ourselves that, you know, we are on Native land. Uh, you know, and, and in fact, when, there, when there's going to be a rally in Washington, D.C., uh, if, it's, if it's going to be a true people's rally organized by the people and not organized by the NGOs and, you know, top-down type stuff, it is always mandatory that the Native peoples, in the case of Washington, D.C., it would be Chief Billy Tyack or one of the Piscataway Indian Nation would come and be the first speaker and welcome people to Native land. So, but the, the bigger question goes to the question that Brother Maurice was talking about at the end of his talk, which is uh, imperialism and capitalism and the privatization of the land. And uh, so this has been going on for a long time. Uh, and uh, the, the seizing of the commons in order to force people off the land to make them work in the factories. And, and we see that still going on. I, I talked about the, the Native Americans from uh, Mexico Central and Central America being forced off the land and ending up uh, 
basically as day laborers uh, uh, in, in, in Prince William County. It's the same thing. It's the same dispossession. And now, we're, now we have neoliberalism where there's basically a price on everything. There's a price on water. If they could put a price on the air, they would do it. A price on everything. Privatize the schools. You know, we can see what a disaster the health care system is here. So, so the question, the fundamental question, Brother Africa, is, you know, who owns the land? And the answer is that it is the people that own the land. It is not the corporations. And that, that fundamentally, if we understand that that is the question and that land is, you know, fundamental to our freedom, then that gives us an, a, a, a handle on what we need to do. And, and it's, a, it's a big task. There's no question. You know, I hear people who are lifelong, committed freedom fighters saying, I feel, I, I feel like giving up because the capitalists have won. And so I think the answer is, uh, you know, it's, it's not that easy. You know, the struggle goes on. It's, uh, it never ends. And uh, it's, you know, I, I guess our responsibility uh, as elders to do what we can do to help to educate uh, the youth so, so that they are informed and they are empowered to continue the struggle that, that we have devoted our lives to and hopefully, hopefully more successfully than, than we have. Uh, Brother Maurice, um, you have a comment, question for Brother John, and we will ask Brother John to give us a summation again and how people can participate in the program. Brother Maurice, you, Brother Africa, uh, yes, I just want to say, Brother John, um, I, have, I have a comment and a, a brief question, but I just want to thank you for your presentation and thank you for uh, your struggle in Prince William County. Um, in relation to Prince William County, uh, I know um, in 1994 that Walt Disney was trying to, uh, you know, get obtain property, uh, I think in, in Haymarket, in the Haymarket area of, of Prince William. I'm not too familiar with that yeah. county or with that area, yeah. but but yes, I understand yes, that Walt Disney. Right. Okay, okay, and I understand that the people uh, fought back. Uh, against Walt Disney, and and everybody knows, if you don't know, Walt Disney is a racist company. They exploited our brother Solomon Linda down in South Africa with his song, um, you know, a song that, that was used for the Lion King uh, movie. But I just wanted to, to know, does, uh, you know, in relation to the current environmental justices, is, are there, how, how is the people responding in Prince William? Do they still have the same fight, the same uh, appetite to fight like they did in 1994? And I conclude. So, so brother Maurice, I didn't hear your whole talk, but I also really appreciated uh, what that last five minutes or so that I heard of what you said, and uh, and um, so to answer your question, it probably wouldn't surprise you that, but I was heavily involved in uh, the struggle against Walt Disney. Uh, I was part of a group called um, oh, I can't even remember, but it was a grassroots environmental group. And there was another group that was more of an NGO group that had had some money, and uh, they had hired uh, an executive director. Her name was Kim Hosen. So, you know, coming 
forward, you know, to what what are we at? We're almost 30, 25 years later. So Kim uh, is the one that reached out to me on this event on July the 6th because we fought together against Disney. Essentially, they wanted to build a Disneyland uh, on the East Coast. It was going to be a historical one. It would have been a disaster. Uh, it would have been, in terms of, of cars, in terms of what it would have done to the environment, it would have, would have basically taken Bull Run Mountain which is the easternmost of the Appalachian Mountains on the western end of Prince William County, and uh, it would have, would, have, would have devastated it. Uh, it would have devastated the community of Thoroughfare and Thoroughfare Gap, which is one of the oldest free African-American communities in the uh, in state of Virginia, if not the entire United States. Uh, and it was a coalition of uh, environmentalists and activists and uh, and 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 people of color, civil rights groups that came together and basically fought uh, tooth and nail, and and Disney ultimately backed down. So this was okay. from the point of view of Prince William County. This is one of the great environmental justice victories, uh, and I'm really glad that you you remember that. Oh, thank, thank you for so answering my so, question, man, so, and, th- so, and thank you. So, so, so to answer your question, though, I, yeah, I think that the spirit is still there when it needs to be. That, but you know, when it comes to individual struggles, but but when it comes to organized resistance, uh, it's it's very difficult. And Prince William, you know that Prince William is primarily it's a bedroom community. A lot of government workers live here, and uh, one of the one of the one of the big issues in Prince William County is actually building community. So this program that I'm working on now is, you know, one small step toward trying to build the community that, you know, that, that, that could be. So, so, and that's, and that's why I'm involved in it. I mean, I have no illusions that, you know, in a sense, it's not political work in the sense that, you know, all of us, do political work all the time, but it's still, uh, it's important. You know, I, I work, I, I think Brother Anthony and Brother African know that I do prison work. I'm, I'm a volunteer at Petersburg Prison working with the Native American prisoners. You know, it's not exactly political work, but it's important work, and it goes hand in hand with, and I, I think I see it as the same thing as the liberation struggle. We struggle in many different ways. Uh, and uh, you know, and 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 the answer is, you know, we we have to keep fighting, and we have to keep figuring where can we where can we make a difference, where can we move things forward. Uh, you know, it's 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 heartening because we're 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 watching this rebellion going on right now, and yeah. uh, and and you know, it does my heart heart good. I actually came out of my isolation because I you know I'm 73 and I have diabetes and you know if I get the virus it's a death penalty but I I put my mask on and I came out uh you know on the other hand I'm looking today at an at an article that came out I think I forwarded to brother Africa it's about this Black Lives Matter global foundation that's basically run by Democratic Party operatives that's out there trying to you know 
basically co-opt the entire movement like they like they always do. So you know, we we need to be always be aware of that because that's always been an issue. You know, going all the way back to my when I first got involved in the movement in the '60s. You know, it was always a question of you know the establishment co-opting leadership and trying to pick us off. So so stay strong, brother Clarence. Okay, uh, can you tell us one more time about the upcoming program and how people can participate? Yeah, so it's going to be on uh, July the 6th at 7 o'clock, and you, to get uh, involved, you can either uh, you, you, uh, send an email to Kim at pwconserve.com. Okay, on that note, John, we'd like to thank you for your information, giving us an update on what you do in our community, and definitely that's a battle that needs to be fought that you are working on. We'd like to thank you. We welcome you to stay on the program, but we're going to pause, go to another opportunity break, and when we come back, we will continue our discussion on what's going on out with our community. You listen to Africa. Stay strong, brothers. Welcome to Pilgrim and to the Buffalo who once ruled a plane. Like the vultures circling beneath the dark clouds, looking for the rain. Looking for the rain. Just like the city that stagger on the coastline in a nation that just can't stand much more. Like the forest buried beneath the highway, never had a chance to grow. Never had a chance to grow. And now it's winter. Winter in America. Yes, and all of the hills have been killed. Sent away. Yeah, but the people know, the people know it's winter. in America and ain't nobody fighting cause nobody knows what to say save your soul Lord knows from winter in America the constitution a noble piece of paper with free society, the struggle but they died in vain. And now democracy is a ragtime on the corner, a hope and false rain. It's looking like either hope and false rain. 
you back to Africa on the Move. Yes, not only is there a winner in America, there are also hell in America. And we're definitely trying to figure out what's going on. Welcome back to Africa on the Move. Earlier, our panelist analysts were sharing some perspectives on what's going on in our world community. And I started back with Brother Haki um, in terms of I thought he made a real interesting um, statement where maybe we can get a little bit better clarity on the kind of tools that capitalism used to maintain, to manipulate, and stay in power. And Brother Haki, maybe if you could talk, just elaborate a little bit more and make that point clear where you started out earlier, you said that historically businesses came up with the idea and thought it was important to create and organize and control and purchase banks for the whole point of controlling the supply side of the money so they can be in a position to create the kind of things they want to create, which is, in essence, what's still going on today. Can you talk about a little bit more about the importance of if you let businesses own other businesses, like banks, uh, how does it ensure the longevity of state and power? Yeah, we're, to put it real simply, Brother Africa, I think what people have to do is look at the uh, capitalist side to organize like a triangle. The more power you you have, the further at the at the tip of the at the tip of the, uh, the triangle is the most is the most powerful people. Those individuals with the most capital. Capital d- determines what will be done, how it will get done, and who would do it. So you got a small number of people, you know, throughout the world who control the levels of power. And power, in this instance, we're talking about money. So earlier I talked about the eight families that own the um, that own the, uh, the the Federal Reserve. So a lot of people don't realize the Federal Reserve is probably owned. They think it's, it's part of the, part of the U.S., but it's not. In fact, back in 1913, when they had a negotiation in terms of um, you know how the Federal Reserve would be situated, part of the problem was the South, the South was very suspicious in terms of you know any bank having too much power. So what they what they made a compromise and they said, okay. We have uh, 12 banks in addition to the Federal Reserve, and so therefore, what will happen is that the Federal Reserve will have most of the power, but the power will be somewhat, um, uh, somewhat balanced by by the fact that you got 12 other organizations that in fact exist in terms of as a, as a counterbalance to the Federal Reserve. But anyway, those individuals that own the Federal Reserve was Goldman Sachs, the Rockefellers, the Lehmans, the Kulobs, Rothschilds, the Warburgs, the, the Lazards, and Israel Moses of now, interestingly, as I articulated earlier, I'm talking, most of these people are, are, are representative of, of European uh, aristocracy. And so, therefore, everything they did was, again, in terms of enhancing their power. So it's not simply a situation where America itself unilaterally decides in terms of how the world will be organized. It's European countries working in concert to make sure, uh, you know, that they, in fact, control the money supply. And controlling the money supply, they, in fact, control what goes on in these countries. And it's not a very, very complex uh, proposition to understand. Uh, it's like um, if you if you hit if you if, let's say you're the head of the household, you got to bet you control the money. Well, if you control the money, then you know what? Everybody else can listen to what you have to say. In fact, you your will prevails, and that's the same way in terms of the world economy. That's essentially how it works. And keep in mind, brother, when I talk about this pyramid, keep in mind also when we, when we talk about in terms of um, just just the, 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 the power of money, keep in mind that there are four banks in America that control most of the major major uh, Fortune 500 companies. And the Fortune 500 companies are the most powerful corporations that exist, you know, uh, that exist in, in America. Not just in America, but throughout the world. 
Now, here it is. The Bank of America, Chase, um, C.P. Morgan, J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup, and Wells Fargo, four banks fundamentally have access to capital. And with access to that capital, depending on who, who have access to the capital, uh, who won't have access to the capital. And so one of the things, recently we've been talking about a situation where the, the Federal Reserve has received something like a $454 billion of uh, um, bonds from a treasury. Well, that's unprecedented because what happened is that by giving that money to – by the treasury giving that money to the uh, foreign, uh, excuse me, to the Federal Reserve, then what happens is that all you're really doing is you fundamentally you're transferring wealth you know, uh, you know, uh, from, the, from the populace to, the, to a very exclusive club of people and individuals. So what happened is that the Federal Reserve took that $454 billion, turned it into something like, 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 something like a $4.5 trillion, and that money is given to who? The most powerful people, the most powerful corporations, the most wealthiest people on the land. Well, the question is, does that money trigger that, trickle, uh, tr- uh, trickle down to, to the rank and file, so to the average person out here, in terms of jobs, affordable housing, education, and so forth and so on? And it doesn't. The money stays at the top. Then superpose upon that you have a bank of international settlements and along with offshore accounts to make sure that the wealthy have some place to store their wealth. And so the wealth was supposed to be used in terms of revitalizing the economy. It's not used to revitalize the economy. What it does is that it empowers the wealthy, it enhances their power. And so a situation where, you know, when, when you have a situation where a few people power gets enhanced, which means that by nature, you exponentially what you're doing, you're enhancing or cre- increasing the number of people who don't have power, people who don't have access to, to, to capital. So, in fact, what happens is that these banks, these corporations are determined who are the winners and the losers. And so when the banks determine who are the winners and losers, then it's very clear that the winners are those with capital, as the, as the Constitution defined it, wealthy white men who own property. Um, so, you, when you, so when you have the situation, you have this increasing number of people who are hopeless, then the problem for those positions of power is what do you do with this? Because systematically what happens is that people in the society or in the Western world generally, or throughout the world period, are being bankrupt. And so then you have this growing number of people who don't have in the future. The question for those positions of power is what do you fundamentally do with all these people you don't have any use for? Well, you can do one of two things in terms of in terms of uh, in terms of dealing with these with this, with this population that you have no use for. Well, you can incarcerate them, but of course, incarceration takes lots and lots of money. At some point, it becomes counterproductive to keep locking people up, and so they got to seek other alternatives in terms of control. Well, certainly, according to Rex 84 or the National Defense Authorization Act, what you can do, you can intern them, you can put them in concentration camps, and just put them there and out of sight, out of mind, you know, control them, you know send a message to the rest of the population and control them that way. But the problem is that all of that stuff is fleeting. It's, it's going to, it's going, it may work for a while, but over time, it's not going to work. So it leads the capitalists with a very, very serious problem. And, 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 and the bottom line is, Brother Africa, if you're going to eliminate this problem in terms of hopelessness or the, or the uh, lack of opportunity that exists in the Western, well, throughout the world, if you're going to eliminate that, then you have to fundamentally change to which, which side is organized economically. And the people in positions of power understand that as long as they hold the tra- capital, then they understand that they have the, they have the winning card. And so, therefore, they're not willing to give up give up that control. And this is what this is all about. And so when we see this proliferation of Nazis around the world or the KKK types, when we see the proliferation of Polish killings uh, of African people or you know, poor, poor white people, when we see this stuff, then we're very, very clear that the reason why they have to do that is because, they, because all of this, all of this whole system is predicated on exploitation. 
In order for these people to maintain the control of the capital and have access to all that money, then you have to control people on, 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 on the losing end of their proposition, which means that poor people, people of color, um, uh, people who challenge the status quo must be dealt with. And so this is the fundamental problem that we got. So no one should be surprised when we talk about all this, this, this systematic killing of people. Then understand it's part and parcel of the program. It has to exist. And uh, just one other, just just you know one other thing one other thing, brother Africa. You know, um, one one of the things is that you know when we talk about war, and this is important, people understand this. But you know, one of the things that they agreed back in 1903, they talked about a banker's trust, and a lot of the A families who own the Federal Reserve, they talk about the fact that listen. In order to make sure things remain profitable and make sure that we have absolute control in addition to being able to control the funds, we want to have access or control over the militaries. And so, therefore, anytime, anyone anywhere, regardless of where they are, if that country fails to pay, then the Federal Reserve, under the auspices of the ruling of the, of the eight families, got the right to tell the, the Western countries, in particular the United States or the U.K. or France or Britain or Germany, any of them, tell them, listen, you must intervene militarily because these people are not paying us back our money. So this is how this is. So we talk essentially what we talk about is a criminal enterprise, and so therefore because we talk about a criminal enterprise, people got to understand very very clearly that they have no, that there is see people try to co- try to cross these arguments in terms of morality, but the problem is that when you, when you're talking to people in terms of the world of money, there is no morality. Everything is expedient, and so therefore the whole system is predicated upon one. You know, access to those funds, access to the money, and to control. So under those under those circumstances, people got no other choice but to stand up and fight. They don't have no choice. Or another possibility of dealing with this problem where the people are no longer value and need it and become a burden to the state, quote unquote, they make a create a virus to help eliminate a lot of populations. That may be another alternative, Brother Hakeem. What do you think about yeah, that? No, 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 you're right. I mean, it's very, very clear. When we talk about the history of AIDS, we, 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 we understand quite, 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 you know, specifically, you know, the, the role that the, uh, that the Western intelligence played in terms of the proliferation of the AIDS virus. And that's where I documented. So I'm not going to go through that again because I know I'm saying this numerous times on the program, so I'm not going to keep repeating myself. It gets redundant. But nonetheless, we are very clear on that. So when we look at, and so when we look at something like the, um, something like the, uh, COVID-19, we say, well, damn, this is interesting. They alleged that it came out of China, but all the evidence suggests that it didn't come out of China. So then what is the reality? So I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, again, just like in 1913, and I mean, so 1929, the, the, the banks are showing just how much power, how, how much power they got to destabilize countries. And so one of the things in terms of, in order for the U.S. to maintain its hegemony, one of the things that they have to do it has to destabilize. It has to destabilize, you know, trade. It has to. It has no choice. In particular, it has to destabilize China because China is no more economic power. So, in destabilizing China, it has a point in turn. Uh, it increases the possibility that it can regain its uh, its uh, its its uh, hegemony or, its, uh, or con- control of the world economy. So, I suspect that this this is this is what this is all about. It's COVID nineteen and this and, and Trump's refusal in terms to to invest money in terms of finding a cure for COVID nineteen because I think the bottom line is that. They understand precisely in terms of what COVID nineteen is all about and how to cure it. So, so we can't just we, we can't dismiss any of this stuff. So people, you know, they, they look at this stuff and they see it's, it's simply news, not understanding that a lot of this stuff, as you alluded to, brother Africa, is strategic planning. And this is a problem that we're talking about. But we're talking about people who are desperate to maintain power at all costs. 
evil is that mean destroying the planet. It's a mean killing millions of people, and they're committed to doing that. So we got some real challenges ahead of us, uh, you know, as we face, you know, a declining uh, uh, capitalist, global capitalist system. And Brother Anthony, earlier you mentioned that uh, there was a program in acknowledging and celebrating the 56th anniversary of the organization Afro-American Unity, organization that Brother Malcolm uh, founded and created. Can you talk just a little bit about the significance of that, Brother Anthony? Because many times, you know, when we talk about recognizing and honoring our heroes and sheroes, you talk about them as individuals, but don't talk about the legacy and work that they created and how we can maintain building that particular legacy and maintain creating that, that entity or that work that they wanted to create into fruition for our people to have a tool to fight against uh, the very forms of oppression. Okay. <laughs> to, put, uh, to put Malcolm X's work into appropriate context, uh, a little history is involved. Uh, brief history. Uh, first, both his parents were Garveyites. They were both active in the UNIACL during the 20s and 30s. And, uh, and especially, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, uh, Malcolm's mother and the changes she went through had a strong influence on, on him. And uh, anyway, when he, um, you know, when he, uh, you know, when the, when when the little family w- w- was broken up, and uh, Malcolm was, uh, you know, separated from his mother and his uh, and his siblings, he, um, you know, he, uh, you, you know, he he went on to go go to high school, where he was a very uh, active student and uh, had good grades and um, he had interest in pursuing law but he, uh, his fa- his favorite teacher at that time discouraged him and told him to be realistic about uh, you know being a nigger and he got turned off he lost interest in school after that and um, you know eventually became uh, uh, you know uh, you know uh, drifted into drug, uh, drug use and criminality, etc. Uh, well, the, uh, you know, eventually he ended up in jail behind that. And uh, while he was uh, while he was imprisoned, he got exposed by one of his brothers to the Nation of Islam, and that kind of rekindled his interest in uh, in education and learning and study. And uh, he got to a point where he eventually became a follower of the Nation of Islam after he got out of prison. And uh, that, and uh, and his, and because of his political work among the people, uh, it rekindled his interest in African history and the struggle for Pan Africanism. And uh, he um, he he broke with the Nation of Islam. Uh, for various reasons, partly due to police infiltration, but I won't go into that. Uh, that would take too long. But he, uh, but he, uh, he eventually, uh, you know, acquired the resources to make his hajj to Mecca, and in the course of doing that, he visited several countries in Africa. 
And among the political, uh, you know, leaders he met were uh, Gamal Abdel Nasser, uh, Kwame Nkrumah, and various other uh, 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 other political leaders. And that's where he got the insp- and the ONU was formed on uh, May 25th, 1963, at the conclusion of his first organizational meeting. And that and that inspired Malcolm to try to create the organization of Afro-American unity in order to advance the struggle of for Pan-Africanism in the Western Hemisphere. And uh, he worked on that, and that's the significance of the organization of Afro-American unity. And uh, he influenced. Uh, uh, several youth during that time period, including uh, Kwame Ture, uh, uh Bob Brown, and, uh, and, and and numerous others, to form political organizations to uh, uh, to achieve Black power and Pan Africanism. And uh, yeah. that's the significance of the organization of Afro American Unity in a brief encapsulation. Yeah, I was raising it in the context, and you correct what you asked, articulated, Brother Anthony. I raised in the context that many times we look at uh, people who we claim we value and look at their legacy. A lot of times, once they make a transition, we don't continue to fight to carry out that legacy in terms of making out those institutions come to fruition. You know, you know, in terms of um, you know, he tried to create this organization. He had certain goals and objectives. Are you using that to fight in the system? And when you made a transition, very few people talk about that aspect of his struggle in history. So I thought that was interesting that you raised that in terms of your subject matter today and what's going on in the world community. Um, Brother Moses, you live in in, in Washington D.C. and recently um, Donald Trump made a statement about the mayor of Washington D.C. as being one of the has been the worst mayor in the country. And recently, I understand that the mayor of D.C. made a response, really focused the response at him in terms of she's asking all the citizens and residents of Washington, D.C. not to celebrate the 4th of July. What do you make of that statement, and what do you make of the battle between those two? What's the climate like up in Washington from your perspective? Well, Mayor Mayor Bowser is, you know, she's a feisty uh, black woman, and she's not to be toyed with. Um, she 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 stands her stands pretty tall in, in terms of the black agenda, more or less. And uh, um, I, you know, there there like any time you're in a leadership position, you're going to get criticism, and people can find faults and stuff, but. Uh, I think she's standing up to Donald Trump pretty good. Uh, uh, um, I don't know what else to say. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Yeah, panelists, anybody like to respond to her statement encouraging the citizens of D.C. not to celebrate the 4th of July coming from a mayor? I find that really interesting. I, I, yeah, I, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna uh, agree with you, uh, uh, um, brother, brother Africa. I do find it uh, very inter- interesting that she uh, made that statement um, not to celebrate Fourth of 
of July, too many, a lot of politicians, um, and not only politicians, African politicians in power would not, would, 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 you, don't, you don't hear that statement, like, talking about it. But, you know, um, civilism, uh, civilism uh, is, you know, is, is good. We, we, you know, we focus on that June 10th, Juneteenth, everybody, when, when the governor declared it, it was a, it was a state holiday in Virginia. Everybody brought out the grills. Everybody brought out, you know, the DJ set, open mic. And I'm not knocking that, but when you got real people on the ground, um, comrades on this on, on this platform um, have been doing June, June 10th celebrations and events and, and memorializations or whatever, you know, have a, whatever format. We've been doing this stuff. And but when 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 a governor or when a a, a musician, Pharrell, and I won't I don't want to be long with it, but you know Pharrell, um, you know his his one of his uh, colleagues, Pusha T, his brother Miles, works with one of the biggest devils in Virginia. When we talk about Pat Robinson, who 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 exploited all the minerals from uh, uh from um uh, from Liberia, but I digress. Or West Africa, I digress. Just want to make that point, um, real briefly, but. It, to get back to your question, Brother Africa, I do find that statement. I, I agree with this statement, but we need to do more than not celebrate on Fourth of July. We had no business. We had no business. It shouldn't have to take a mayor to tell Africans not to celebrate on Fourth of July. We've been saying that. We say, I mean, come on, we've been saying that, um, uh, and and we should know that. We that's not our holiday. I mean, not only us. The elder Frederick Douglass told us that. What is the Fourth of July to 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 the black man, to Africans? So, I mean, that's that's good what you said, but that's nothing new, you know. And I conclude. Okay. Could okay. I add something? Um, of course you can. Uh, sure, to, uh, to Maurice's uh, statement. Unfortunately, our historical memories are short, which is which was which makes the work we do very critical. A lot of a, a lot of a, a lot of us have forgotten the lessons that Frederick Douglass taught us oh, 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 uh, nearly a uh, hundred and eighty years ago now, when he made that speech in 1852, which was before a group of European feminists, by the way, not toward uh, it, it wasn't an African audience he was uh, speaking to for the most part, but it got recorded. And uh, and the thing and uh, and the problem I have with Juneteenth is that uh, is that it gives Africa uh, uh, gives us the illusion that we're free when we're not. And uh, and uh, we uh, and we we just uh, basically went toward the end of the Civil War. We went from one form of exploitation to another. And. Uh, uh, the Union victory in the Civil War enabled it to uh, to, to emerge as a full-blown capitalist state. So really, uh, you know, in in the scheme of things, we got a lot of work to do. And uh, you know, and um, you know, uh, you, you know, really, Juneteenth is not uh, is not uh, that that big a deal. And the Fourth of July was never a holiday. Yeah, you know, Brother Africa, you know, that's true. Uh, we, we, we do have a short history, a historical, historical memory, and that's problematic. And I think one of the things that, you know, I think about a couple of things. First, 
when we look in terms of the so-called payment, payment, protection, payment protection program, uh, which is scheduled to run the end in July, end of July, when we look at it in terms of all the people who are indebted because of uh, you know back pay that is due because of, you know in terms of rent, mortgage, and so forth, so on. The reality is that a lot of people, particularly in the African community, their wages simply won't afford of allow them the opportunity to make those back payments simply because they're not making enough money to do that. So when some some uh, banking banking firm or some ma- manager says, "I want you know five thousand dollars," you know. Um, a lot of African people are not in a position to pay $5,000 at one clip. So it's a real problem in terms of our survival in the society. And so if even if we have this historic amnesia that in, impacts us, this is something that's happening today. So I, I encourage people to, to recognize, you know, the the real implicit threat in terms of our existence you know, in, on this, in this planet, uh, given the kind of economic changes that are taking place in the society. Secondly, I think Brother Africa also um, – one of the things that, you know, African people in particular and poor people generally depend on a great deal is Social Security. Now, this is a program that's been around for about 80-plus years, and it's a very good program. In fact, one of the things it does, it does provide some stimulus for the economy. And so, therefore, you know, with uh, the passage of uh, Social Security, you know, it did wonders in terms of stimulating the economy. So FDR, in terms of this, this plan, in terms of stimulating the economy, he didn't necessarily do it because he was particularly concerned about the interests of poor people. He did it because it was good for the interests of, of the system at large. And so now we have a situation today in which they're talking about eliminating Social Security, and they're doing it very cleverly. And it, by, by the way, uh, it started under President Obama, so I just want people to understand that. So when we talk about in terms of the attack African people face, it ain't just some white person. It's also people that are just like you, you know, who are doing things that are to the detriment of the African community. But in any event, uh, one of the things the Orange Minister is currently doing is that, and, and this is something also that uh, George Bush did, was that he's talking about he's cutting payroll taxes. So those taxes that go directly into funding Social Security are being cut, which means that it's going to create a deficit as far as they account for, for Social Security, which means that when people get 65 or, or 62, you know, they file at, at a younger age, when they're ready for Social Security, it won't, simply won't be there because essentially what they're going to do is stop the beast. They're going to stop the program and just mission. So this is a fundamental problem we got. And I don't think a lot of our people really really understand the, 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 the real implicit threat uh, in terms of a lot of the political maneuvering that's taking place, you know, in the society. So if we have history in Egypt, that's one thing. But we're talking about right now, so the question in terms of your survival for now, what are you going to do now? So these issues, we have to understand what's going on. And that's why organizations are so critical, because if people don't understand, we have organizations, we have institutions, we can educate our people in terms of what's going on, but right now we, we are so so scattered, uh, we're so fragmented in terms of you know no no organization or no institutions that it's very difficult to get that message out. Can we can't convey that message to people? And you see people all the time who are in desperate streets in terms of without social security. I mean I mean my goodness, I mean they'd be homeless. I mean, you know, uh, it, it, it'd be horrible. It, it'd be something of um, 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 something similar to what's happening. In terms of you know India, when in terms of we got a very small wealthy minority, and most of the people you live off the streets and you know and try to do the best they can in the survival, so we get to that point in America, and that's not historical. That's happening right now. So so even if we have that amnesia, it's important we understand right now. If you don't buy into the stuff about historically what happened has no relevance today, then understand that the stuff that's going on, the kind of maneuvering that's taking place now, is today, and so we have to understand the implications of what's going on. And we have to respond. If we don't, it's on us. So anything that happens to us, it's on us. 
we can't turn around and blame the adversary because they're doing what they got to do to maintain power. If we sit back and allow them to exert power at our expense, then nobody to blame but us. I'm not gonna blame anybody. I'm gonna say, hey, these people, these people, this people that. I'm gonna say, you know what? We brought on ourselves because we refused to acknowledge and see to look at the situation objectively for what it was. So uh, I'm not in with that. You know, Brother Maurice, you talk about the recent hanging of some African youth and even being hung in the daytime. So this whole issue of killing African people continues, irregardless of how well publicized these killings are made. Matter of fact, that was an announcement on one of the news stations that since the death of George Floyd, uh, the police department institution has, at, at minimum, killed at least 120 people since 120. And given this reality, again, and we have raised it before, there seems to be that the state had declared us as enemy. This is a war against African people and people who are poor. Your response to that, when will the people get the picture that the state is at war with the people here? Yes, yes. See, and, and I think the people, believe it or not, uh, I think some people, um, I, I don't want to say most, but some people, I got the people who are out there um, going toe-to-toe with the cops head on in the street. I think they understand that we are in a war, but they don't, I, I, what I, what I, what I, uh, what I think they don't understand or what they feel, fail to understand what they are at war against. Um, the police department is not the war. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say that's not a war we should be fighting, but that's not the, that's not the end stop. You understand what I'm saying? That's not the, that's not the main enemy. The enemy, you got to fight. If anything in warfare, you got to fight the, the, the mother who produces the soldiers. You got to, you got to fight the big kahuna. And the big kahuna is is, is is capitalism, what was taken from us. And, you know, in, in a war, you're fighting for something, first of all. What are you fighting for? Are you fighting for to defund the police officers? What the hell are they going to do? What the hell is going to do? Because if you defund the police officers, best believe something worse is coming. If the police, if they eradicate uh, police officers. But, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like, you know, oxymoron, because we already had to work with police officers. They they were, they were, um, they would build a metamorphosis from slave catchers into quote unquote police officers protecting the property. So at the end of the day, what produces all of this hate towards us and want to keep us um, enslaved and oppressed is the system of capitalism. And then when you have black faces in power, uh, 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 still still continuing the oppression of the uh, you know of the European black under under a black face. Uh, neo colonialism. That's a, that's that's the war we gotta fight. That's the war we gotta destroy. You know, going to toe to toe with police officers. That's cool. It's only I, I mean to be realistic. It, it, it's only going to get you so far. The real war is to be organized first of all, to to be political trained, to train yourself and educate, and not just uh, react off emotion. You want to react off of emotion, but you want to do it in an organized fashion. And last but not least. Um, that's what we got to understand. When you got the United Nations peacekeepers, uh, uh, quote-unquote now, peacekeepers, right? They're going around uh, Haiti. They're going around Africa. They're going around different countries, defecating in the water, raping the kids, raping the women. It's a live footage 
got it on footage. On, I got it on on my Instagram page. You can, uh, you can see the footage of a United Nations truck riding in through the streets with a, a, a teen, an underage uh, child, a female on the on the United Nations uh, peacekeeper or officer lap. Um, they looked like they were having sexual uh, uh, sexual advances or whatever, uh, or sexual action, however you want to frame it. But see, this is the stuff that we get. All of this stuff is connected. The same thing. The same thing that produces the United Nations, quote unquote, peacekeepers. The same system that produced the United the the, the uh, United States Africa Command Post in Africa that's raping Africa, that's uh that's that's producing these wars, proxy wars. Uh, that's over. That's uh, 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 overthrow good leaders like uh, Muammar Gaddafi and created thousands of Africans dying at sea, trying to get to somewhere better than Libya, than Libya or their realistic conditions. Um, the same system that produces the CIA that killed Patrice Lumumba, that try to uh, that try to undermine uh, Kwame Nkrumah or did under, undermine Kwame Nkrumah. The same CIA that killed Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. The same fire the fire department, from my understanding. They 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 shot the bullet from the kill Dr. Uh, Martin Luther King in Memphis. All of this is produced by a system, an economic system that is selfish, as Martin Luther King called it. The system is selfish. They are they are conscious towards people suffering. They are conscious they are, they are conscious list towards the oppressed. So you're dealing with that type of system. You're dealing with this type of system. That's the system that needs to be destroyed. You need to defund. Capitalism. You need to defund imperialism, defund the, neo, the financial capital that, and the foreign investment that that propagates uh, neocolonialism. So that's how I conclude with that answer. Thank you. All right, panelists. What we're gonna do right now? We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, unfortunately, you weren't able to get to our selected articles who have seen today part two battles to be fought, but we will continue that next week. So we're gonna pause for this revolutionary culture break and when we come back, we ask each one each one of y'all to give us your final thoughts for today's program. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word. Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs, our love. needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, because Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs 
needs our love, needs our love, Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. That's right, Palestine needs our freedom. Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. This is part two of Battles to Be Fought. Next week we'll continue with part three on Battles to Be Fought. But right now, with our political analysts and panelists for today, we're going to ask each one of them to give their final thoughts for for today's program. We're going to start off right now with Brother Moses. Brother Moses, your final thoughts for today's program. Well, again, as usual, I hate to be the dead horse, but it's a political economy. There is no economics outside of politics. Politics determines economics, always has and always will. And so we have to follow the trail of the money in terms of uh, who's getting what and why and uh, and, and what's going out and why. And, um, you know, a, there is a lot of people, I mean, you know, that are capitalists. You know, they have real people, real names, and... Uh, We've got to know who's who's who and what's what sooner or later. Uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, for today's contribution to this program. And we now go to Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice, your final thoughts for tonight. Yes, uh, I want to thank you again, Brother Africa, and I want to thank uh, for allow thank you for allowing me to be on this platform with some of the best uh, you know political commentators and comrades on this panel. And uh, I would I would say that we need to uh, it's time to upgrade the struggle against the statues and it's time, it's time it, the struggle needs to upgrade in the streets and I know we say over and over that uh, we need to be boots on the ground but right now we need to be involved in the class struggle so we can wrap this thing up and so we can uh, get our freedom so we can stop being oppressed and get and get to the class struggle um, once we understand class struggle. Uh, that'll put us in a better position to to get to get to get to where we need to get to, and uh, organize, man, or organize. I know we say it on every uh, every show, but we do have to organize. We have to join an organization. Uh, is it, all these organizations that we name uh, on a, on a weekly basis? Please get organized. And some of the some of the masses, the people in the street are organized, but be political organized. Be revolutionary uh, organized. Study books by Kwame Nkrumah. Study books by Malcolm X. Study books by uh, Sekou Touré, uh, Kwame Touré. Um, study these books, man. France Fanon. You got books out there. Thomas N. Carrot. So study these books. Thank you, Brother Maurice, for your contribution to today's program. And next, go to Brother Anthony. Your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Anthony. My final thought for tonight is that we must get organized. And in addition to that, we have to study our history. And we have to ensure that we teach our history to our youth. Uh so that they so that they that that they have the tools needed to organize ourselves. Uh, you know, uh, you know, after after we're gone, and uh, Pan Africanism is the ultimate solution, uh, you know, to our problems. And uh, you can fi- and people can find out more about that by visiting 
the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC's website, which is www.a-aprp-gc.org, or call us at 202-246-4896. Thanks. Thank you, Brother Anthony, for your contribution to today's program. And we now go to Brother Haki. Your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Haki. Yeah, you know, there's a, old, there's a saying, Brother Africa, that all politics are local. The problem with that philosophy is that uh, there are no restraints uh, that currently exist in terms of uh, the, the desire of the, the ruling elite to maintain control and power. So in the past, there's always a situation in which you had the, the stumbling block of, of, in terms of you know, laws being passed in which people were, were actually fight each other. So you had bureaucracy, which prevented laws from being passed, getting policies from being implemented. And so, therefore, it afforded the community the opportunity in terms of you know, discourse to sit down and to discuss you know, how to resolve the issues that the community is facing. But those, those, those stumbling blocks, those, uh, those uh, bureaucratic, uh, uh, um, inst- bureaucratic institutions that at one point existed no longer exist. Now the ruling elite are free to just do what they want to do at a drop of a hat. They just, you know, I want it done, and boom, it's done. So this is a fundamental problem that we have. So when we talk about keeping all politics local, then the problem is that we don't adequately educate our people in terms of the much much broader, the much global phenomenon in terms of what's happening, you know, in their lives. It's no longer a situation where what goes in America that negatively impacts people, African people or poor people in America. What goes on the world impacts what goes impacts on African and on poor people. So therefore, we got to, somehow we got to create somewhere in terms of making sure, and it's a lot to take in. But if we don't figure somewhere in terms of encouraging our people to think outside the box, then the reality is that if, as long as keep, people keep thinking that all politics are local and we keep appealing to things like, you know, if, if we just combat police brutality or if we just, uh, if we just stop um, uh, uh, gender discrimination or we just stop... Um, uh, discrimination against gay people, we should stop, uh, you know, uh, discrimination against people who are Jewish, blah, 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 blah. So we have all this identity politics, but none of it takes into account the broader reality in terms of what's going on. So we have to understand the broader reality. Otherwise, it's very difficult to really strategize if you don't understand where the forces, where, where, the, where the problems are coming from. The forces, the, 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 the problems that we're confronted with are, much, are very abstract. Uh, they're coming from all over the place. And if we can determine you know, or prioritize, you know, what we should do first in terms of getting our liberation, then we're in trouble. So I say that to say that, you know, that uh, this is serious business. And, uh, and and the only way you're going to understand the 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 the, 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 the real real danger, the situation we find find ourselves are confronted. The only way you can understand that reality is that you must read. You don't have a choice. I know some people don't like to read, so they look at you know social media and that's that's their reading. But that 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 that, that that's not going to help us win it win the struggle. You must read and ask questions. We no longer can take a position that you know. Listen, you know that you know I don't have to read. You know I can look at television. I can look at social media, and that that'll educate me. It simply doesn't work that way. So we're in real dire straits. So let's please people start reading. Having said that, brother Africa, of course, I always encourage people to unravel the matrix. And unraveling that matrix, you know, uh, we can achieve which we want to achieve, which is our, our uh, independence and um, self-determination. So having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night, and I'll see you next week. Yes, well, Brother Hackey, thank you for today's contribution. And to our guest, 
Brother John and Sister Pam, we thank you for your contribution. We always thank our listening audience. And, of course, thank those who allow us to come to their homes where we can speak truth to power and to share information with you so that hopefully you can use it as a tool for liberation, to help liberate your people, and to help liberate humanity from all the various forms of oppression. One of the driving force of having this particular institution, Africa on the Moon, is to ensure that our people understand the current reality that we are not free. And on that note, we're in with the song, Not Yet Uhuru, which means we are not free, we are not liberated. Marcos, 
Oh, 
black man, black man, go on and get a catch scan. I had chain rap too straight, too tight. We get a backhand, there ain't no Batman in this black land. I wish a rich nigga would come and save the day and pave the way. Ain't no amazing grace. I blaze the haze to remain the faith. Twenty years be my medicine, but they wanna throw me away for that. Then turn around and legalize it. I wish being black was truly accepted. Four hundred year elephant in the room. This ain't a new deal. They've been treating us like animals. We in a zoo still. So let me tell you how I feel. Guilty conscience trumps common sense every day, y'all. Ignore the issues, look at the victim like it's their fault. As if a wagon ain't harassing, waiting for jaywalkers in front of the building, minding your business. You was trying to pay your bills as if that wasn't to mention. Conjunction, junction, tell me what's your intention. Don't call him king, then treat him like some common folk. You a fighter like Ronda Rose. Rousey move around the rope. Drowsy with a cloud of smoke. Howdy do for Maui, bro. Traveling around the globe, you didn't know, but now you know. Early morning rise since my end of a long kick in. Birdman hand rubs, feeling my palms itching. I need a spiritual thought with top that's top notch. We watch black power docs and study our chakras. Ooh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. And we gon' cop a ticket and fly on out of here, fly on out. Ooh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. Oh dear black man, tell me what happened You can't be low when your glow's everlasting Then when your ass been on ass been like a has been Raising the trap when the gods talk math and moves with a max ten Not that nigga back then, but look now nigga I'm established, cut camera action I cut lines with my sad card, my bitch is packing Then I'm cutting in line with a bad boy, they caught him flagging Then huddle around him with a stat chart look You stay awake up feeling better than I ever been Check out my melanin, it's now the makeup for the mannequin That wants to be the same as the slave on the sedative You kill culture, I give knowledge, I spit stylish Crane kicks and Balenciagas and speaking science And bodegas that grow flavors was taught language Was taught to talk with the razor from having Spanish neighbors I fought the haters, court cases and lost paper Educated killers walking no ladies cross the street Turn back around, walk across and sell hard to a fee No turning back now, rent you and your kids gotta eat yeah. Black man rooted deep with the blood of a king Yeah, Black man roses arose from the cold concrete I eat, walk, talk, gritty Snitches get buck fifty One slice buck fifty Both get cut quickly Until they free Goldie Nobody can fuck Talk with about me Ooh, child Don't you ever come, come down You acting like the sun ain't out So we gon' cop a ticket and fly on out of here Fly on out Ooh, child Uh uh-huh. 
we don't, we'll have a race of babies that will hate the lady that makes the baby. And since a man can't make one, he has no right to tell a woman when and where to create one. So will the real men get up? I know you're fed up, lady. But keep your head up. Talk, man, I wouldn't want to hear it. Cause integration been disintegrating. Better off in our own ghettos with our own situation. His last speech got him assassinated. Black business was booming. It wasn't just a consumer. Controlling our narrative. We have more marriages. And see what the damage did. They ain't that bad a bitch. And welfare did it's way worse than the slavery. I'll never be an agent. I don't care what they pay me. Seem like Nip had the same old story. If we pay a black hater, tell a different allegory. Like Pearl Harbor and 9-11 was a mystery. Supremacy and go the extent to keep their history alive. All I'm saying, if these leaders was alive, who be on the internet trying to divide? If you's a hotel hustler, trying to be a people of that low vibe structure. Agree to disagree and we ain't got to tear our own down. Argue our silence or forever be our own downfall. All I want to say is that we're giving it away. Soul ain't for sale and the devil is a fake. Argue in the silence, but don't let it seal our fate. Fight behind doors, but don't ever show our face. Cause if mom had Twitter, Malcolm had Twitter. It'd be our own people do the trolling. Just be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Cause if mom had Twitter, and Malcolm had Twitter. It'd be our own people do the trolling. Just be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Sometimes the key to life you're looking for be right in front of you. 
tried to show my man hidden colors, he said nothing new. I said, what if we been lied to most of our freaking lives? Every year coming tonight, and you ain't speaking right, your arrogance precedes you. What if your faith did? I spoke to God on Wednesday, he said most of it's basic. Million dollar mindset to be flying, stay hungry. Hieroglyphic writing on walls you couldn't take from me. A man lay dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head. And landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. I want to get high today. Who got five on my little bundle of temporary? Man, I want to live long enough to be legendary. Your statistics said by now that I'm going to be dead and buried. But when I heard your voice, it seems as if we met already. And I march for our rights, that civil, the same purpose. Two different tribes and we fighting the same person. Could it be that our eyes was deceiving us? We had to have faith when nobody believed in us. Cosmic companionship sustained me after my husband was assassinated and gave me the strength make my contribution to carrying forward his unfinished work. A man laid dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head. And landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. Niggas are scared of revolution, but niggas shouldn't be scared of revolution, because revolution is nothing but change, and all niggas do is change. Niggas come in for murder and change into pimping clothes, into streets to make some quick change. Niggas change their hair from black to red to blonde, and old black hair that looks more change. Niggas kill other niggas just because one didn't receive the correct change. Niggas change from men to women, from women to men. Niggas change, change, change. You hear niggas say, things are changing, things are changing. Yeah, things are changing. Nigga things into black nigga things. Black nigga things that go through all kinds of changes. The change in the day that makes them rant and rave. Black power, black power, and the change. That comes over them at night as they sigh and moan. High side. Ooh, high side. Niggas always going through bullshit change. But when it comes for real change, niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas are actors. Niggas are actors. Niggas act like they're in a hurry to catch the first act of the great white host. Niggas start to act like Malcolm. And when a white man doesn't react to them like he did, Malcolm, niggas want to act violently. Niggas act so cool. And slick, causing white people to say, What makes you niggas act like that? Niggas act like you ain't never seen nobody act before. But when it comes to acting out revolution, niggas say, I can't dig in action. Niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas are very untogether people. Niggas talk about getting high and riding around in L. Niggas to get high and ride to hell. Niggas talk about pimping, pimping that, pimping what? Pimping yours, pimping mine. Just to be pimping is a hell of a line. Niggas are very untogether people. Niggas talk about the mind, talk about my mind stronger than yours. I got that bitch's mind upside. Niggas don't know a damn thing about the mind, but they be right. Niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas fuck. Niggas fuck, fuck, fuck. Niggas love the word fuck. They be 
Fucking they so fucking cute. They fuck you around. The first thing they say when they're mad is fuck it. You play a little too much for them. They say fuck you. When it's time at TCB, niggas are somewhere fucking. Try to be nice to them. They fuck over you. Niggas don't realize while they're doing all this fucking. They're getting fucked around. But when they do realize, it's too late. So niggas just get fucked up. Niggas talk about fucking. Fucking that. Fucking this. Fucking yours. Fucking monsters. Not knowing what they're fucking for. Niggas fuck white side, black side, yellow side, brown side. Niggas fuck ankles when they want dollar side. Niggas fuck Charlotte, Linda, and Sue. And if you don't watch out, niggas will fuck you. Niggas will fuck fuck if it could be fuck. But when it comes to fucking for revolutionary causes, niggas say fuck revolution. Niggas are scared of revolution.
Wayne. Things been stated, re-educated, evaluated. Thoughts of the past have faded. The only thing left is the memories of our belated. And I hate it when someone dies to get all hurt up for a silly gold chain. Lock chunk word up. It doesn't make you a big man. And to one ain't going, this your brother man. And you don't know that's part of the plan. Why? Cause rap music is in full demand. Understand?
Michael, eles não ligam pra gente.
That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. It's an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yeah. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Okay. One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy, Mosaddegh, Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper, all right? That's mm-hmm. his music. Bust a beat for me, right? All right, sure. Lumumba was 
the racist. Glenn Beck is the racist. Got the strip was getting bomb. Obama didn't say shit. After you divorce yourself from the right wing. 